Well, good morning. I want to thank you so much for welcoming me here this morning. The seminary that I serve is in a small town just outside of Lexington, Kentucky. And um, while I've been to that Lexington many times, I have never been to Lexington, South Carolina. And so I'm thrilled to be here this weekend to meet so many of you. And while I've never been here, um, I have known and heard of your church and your ministries, your pastors and staff for some time, and just wanted you to know that your reputation as a place of warmth and ministry and outreach um, is a wonderful one. So thank you for the opportunity to come and spend this weekend with you. Um, in my family, um, my husband and I and our, our two kids and our extended family as well, the love of reading is something that comes on early and fierce. <laughs> Uh, my son, who's seven years old, accompanied me this weekend. He's here in your children's area right now, actually. And when I checked his backpack to see what he was packing for our weekend away, I found seven books um, for a two-day trip. And so I had to talk him out of bringing all seven. I think I finally got him down to three. Um, but I, I wish I could say that he didn't come by that honestly. Um, because I grew up with the same sort of love. Um, there's a story in our family about the time when I was a little older than him, maybe about nine years old, when we went for our first trip to see the Statue of Liberty. And uh, so we had arrived and we were on the Staten Island Ferry, which as you know, circles that iconic American statue. And my mother turned to look at me to see, of course, the look of awe she thought would be on my face and found instead that I was not at all looking. I had my nose in a book. And she said, Jessica, it's the Statue of Liberty, to which I replied, I know I saw it the first time around. <laughs> so um, if you ask us in our family, do you love to read? There is a very clear and definite answer. And maybe the same is true for you or those in your family, that if I asked you, do you love to read, there would be a clear yes. But of course, that question, do you love to read, is a very different question from do you love to study English grammar? While the two are related, the love of one doesn't always translate to the other. I can answer the question, what's your favorite book? But imagine if someone asked you, What's your favorite part of speech? Uh, no one really sits around and professes their undying love for adverbs very often. So many of us love the gift of reading, but it's almost as if uh, it's a miracle that any of us escaped our early English grammar classes with this love still intact. Some of you, some of you may have even been forced to do things like diagram sentences. Uh, I hear a few groans, so I know that you were the ones who were in that class, um, just to put the pieces together, which is nothing like the escape into a good book. Learning the parts of a language is very different than putting the final gift together of escaping into a good story. Parsing out direct objects and gerunds and participles and conjunctions in order to learn a lovely thing like reading is a little bit like being forced to eat raw eggs and baking soda and plain flour just because they're the ingredients of a very yummy cake. I love cake, but that doesn't mean that the ingredients appeal to me in the same way. There's reading and then there's grammar. 
And grammar has rules and exceptions to the rules. Never let your participles dangle. Never split your infinitives. And, and a very famous one, never ever end your sentence with a preposition. Were you told that? Those pesky little prepositions that kept us from saying something very natural like, who are you talking to? And forced us instead to say something that sounded awkward and formal like, to whom were you speaking? The same meaning without ending in a preposition just sounds a little odd. But prepositions, while they're strange to study, are so important. And so that's what I want to talk with you about today because prepositions are the key to relationships. If you want to know what relationship two objects have to one another, ask their preposition. And relationships are important to God. And therefore, prepositions should be important to us as well. If you change a tiny thing like a preposition, you, you change an entire sentence and its meaning. For example, if you had just a, a plain sentence but with a, a blank in it, say, the cat is blank, the Christmas tree. Now, we don't know anything in this sentence about the relationship of the cat and the Christmas tree. It might be something entirely normal and expected. For example, the cat is under the Christmas tree. Now, that is a, a beautiful scene. It's a nice holiday um, appropriate scene. But if you're a cat owner and you've put up a tree at this time of year, you know it might not end there. Um, that you're battling things like this pronoun changing into something like the cat is in, in the Christmas tree, strangely enough, having found his way immediately below the cat ornament, which seems to be an appropriate spot. And it might not even stop with the preposition in, that that cat might continue his journey and change that preposition to something like the cat is on on the Christmas tree. How that cat is balancing at the very top, I do not know, but he seems to think himself a tree topper of some sort. You could also change to with and have a very ex excited cat with. Look at that look on his face. The, the season is just overwhelming. I think it has to do with that sweater he's been forced to wear. Or uh, if you want a truly bizarre result of a preposition because the internet does allow it, you could have a Christmas tree of cats. That's just, that's spooky when you add that preposition in. So let, let's wipe that from our memories and end with something nice and normal. If you were a cat owner that wanted to avoid these things, you might just throw out the tree altogether and create instead a Christmas tree for cats. This is a family that decided they couldn't even manage a Christmas tree and instead created uh, decking the halls with a cat toy in the shape of a tree just so that cat could have its way and not destroy their decorations. So the same nouns, the same verbs, and yet all these relationships are changed by a tiny little thing like a preposition. As tiny as they are, prepositions are mighty because they indicate relationships. And God's prepositions are far more important than where a cat lands in a Christmas tree. We know from our Bibles that if God is for us, who can be against us? We know that God wants to reveal himself to us. And we also know that God wants to work through us 
All of those are beautiful relationships, but what we learned from the passage read this morning that none of those will work at all unless God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. None of the other prepositions that God offers will matter unless God brings himself. None of them matter without the with. And that's what God revealed to a scared young carpenter named Joseph engaged to a young woman named Mary. In the first chapter of Matthew in the story read for us this morning, Joseph is having all kinds of problems. And many of them are problems with prepositions. I mean, he is engaged to, there's his preposition, he is engaged to a lovely young woman whom he believed in as a perfectly suitable choice for marriage. But this news has been shattered by the fact of her pregnancy. She is gasp with. She is with child. And suddenly the plans that Joseph has been making have been interrupted by the question, what now? What now is a question that so many of us ask when things go off script or off of what we expected and we wonder, what will God do now? What will I do now? Scripture is clear that Joseph is a man of integrity. He, he had first answered that what now question with integrity, with compassion. Before the angel came to him in a dream, he had decided that instead of shaming or endangering Mary, he would end their engagement privately and quietly. And since an engagement was a formal contract between families in those days, the process of reversing an engagement would actually take a formal divorce. Joseph was choosing not to smear Mary's name in public with the information that he knew because she actually could have been stoned under Jewish law. So his decision to go through with this divorce, this reversal, quietly would have saved both of their reputations and possibly saved her life. But now, now an angel appears to him in a dream, and it throws a wrench into everything. For one thing, the angel's prepositions are all off. <laughs> Mary is with child, the angel says, but this child is from the Holy Spirit. Now that's a preposition you don't hear every day. A child from the Holy Spirit who will save God's people from their sins. And that meaning of that name, saving from their sins, will be the name Jesus. That Joseph is being instructed to give this baby. And one other name that's thrown in there is Emmanuel. God with us. This is happening to fulfill a prophecy through the prophet Isaiah that a virgin will give birth to a son and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. These two names in the same dream, they're so significant. God is coming to be with his people, the name given in a prophecy long ago. And now this new name, Jesus, the name that the angel instructs Joseph to give. And this throws a wrench into Joseph's plan to end things quietly, because that's not God's plan. God's plan is for Joseph to stick around, to parent this baby, because by giving a name, Joseph is actually claiming this child as his own. As you and I know, only parents give names. And in the family I grew up in, we were given three names by our parents. And boy, when somebody used all three of those names, 
You knew exactly where the authority stood in your life. So Joseph, who's facing this question, what now? What now? Instead of taking the easy way out, is being asked to go all in. This situation would have seemed impossible to say the least, except for that other name, God with us. What a strange and unusual claim this is, that in in the birth of a baby, that the God who created the universe could come and be with us. It's like holding a, a gender reveal party. Do you know about those parties that people have now? Where they want to release to the public what their baby will be, a boy or a girl. They put the inside of a cake in either pink or blue and then cut into it, or they pack a box with balloons in pink or blue to reveal when it's opened, it's a boy or it's a girl, only in this case, instead of a boy or a girl, the box pops open and it's a Messiah. What kind of a reveal is that? God, God with us. God will be with his people, but he who will be with his people is going to come in the form of a tiny human. And who will be with him? because this baby is going to need someone to be with him. Who will be with him when he cries out in the middle of the night? When he gets chicken pox? When he skins his knee? When his friends betray him? When he encounters the worst in the hearts of humanity? Who will be with Emmanuel? Joseph isn't just being told something, that God is with him, he is being invited to be with God. And this is the decision Joseph has to make. This is the with, the preposition that is in Joseph's hands. Mary is with child. And so Joseph now has to stay once and for all. Is he with her? Is he with this tiny baby who needs him so much? Will he, who has done nothing, to set into motion this strange series of events, place his witness alongside this baby, declaring to the world of of Mary and the baby Jesus, they're with me. Joseph is finally understanding that when God comes to be for us, when he wants to do his work through us, God has to be with us. And that that with is not just a divine declaration of power, it's an invitation. It still is today when God says that he is with us, he wants to know from us. But are you with me? Will you answer my invitation? Joseph has a hard decision to make. His previous decision let him off the hook, but this, this angel wants him on the hook. (laughs) To follow God will be to follow further into danger. You know, sometimes walking with God doesn't solve our problems simply means that God is with us in them, that he comes alongside us in our hard times of what now. And to know how we will answer those calls in those hard moments depends on the width of Emmanuel. So to answer this call, Joseph has to empty himself of pride and reputation and hopes and dreams. He has to face humility, even humiliation to be with this baby, and and so he does. He gives Jesus the name. He gives God his obedience. He is saying, he's with me. 
I'll take him on, this vulnerable little person. And giving a name, Joseph gives his with. And when God declares, I am Emmanuel, God with you, Joseph answers, then I will be with you too. Whatever may happen, whatever it takes. It occurs to me that the most vulnerable parts of Jesus's life are right here at the beginning and at the very end. You know, soon after Jesus's birth, a powerful king named Herod was so threatened by this tiny baby who could grow up to become a king that he ordered all of the baby boys in the kingdom to be killed. Joseph and Mary had to flee to Egypt with this tiny and vulnerable child. They had to become refugees in a faraway land. They had to be helpless and exposed. Here at the beginning of Jesus's life, he becomes vulnerable and in need of human protection. And then again, at the end of Jesus's life, at the cross, he offers himself without any, without any divine armies for protection to the harsh fate of human anger and cruelty and violence, even death on a cross. The most vulnerable parts of God's life to be with us on earth were the beginning and the end. And, and we know that, don't we? Those are the most vulnerable parts of our lives too. When I, when I think about my children, when they were tiny, babies even, when they would cry out in the middle of the night sometimes and I would rush in to find out what was wrong only to find out there really wasn't anything needed except they wanted someone with them. The with mattered. It indicated that I was with them in their moments of deepest need and fear. Our with matters to people in their lives. A friend recently told me she was going home for Christmas to take her mom out of the nursing home where she lives now and to take her to her sister's house for a week. And my friend was sharing with me that she was concerned about how this would go because her mom's condition, her, her dementia, meant that she wakes up multiple times during the night and needs someone to be with her what a role reversal that is for a mother and a child. Her mother's been asking over and over again to go home, only home has been sold and is no more. But, my friend says, but when we, when we go and get her and bring her with us, she believes she's home because we're there. Home is when she's with us. Even in the last stages of the human mind letting go with matters. God has been promising you and I to be with us for a very long time. This is, this is not a new promise, Emmanuel, God with us. God is saying in Jesus, this is the with I've promised you all along. I'm with them. I'm with you. I was with you walking in the cool of the Garden of Eden with you in the pillar of cloud and fire, with Abraham in such an incredible way that I was called his friend. And in this story, the, the Gospel of Matthew telling the story of Jesus's life, we open here at the beginning with a promise, I am Emmanuel, God with you. And the entire Gospel ends with these words on Jesus's lips, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, God with us beginning to end. 
When Joseph and Mary's plans were shattered, when their lives were turned upside down, when they had to ask that question, what now? God came alongside them. He came in the hardest parts of human life and existence to show us that he would be with us in the hardest parts even now. He wanted us to know that so much that he was born into a family without resources. They were so in danger that they could have been stripped of their reputation. They were so vulnerable, they were without a place to stay. They were so hunted, they would have to flee as refugees, but they were so committed that they would protect this baby with their own lives. With is a vulnerable word. And Joseph has to make himself vulnerable to be with this baby. But this God who is with us is the with that matters the most. God could have chosen to do things to us or just through us, or he could have just thrown things at us, but he said, no, no, I am the God who will be with you. So I wonder, what about, what about you? What will happen when there's a what now, when the plans are derailed, or when things happen that weren't expected or sought for? Maybe you're having a what now kind of Christmas season, or someone that you love is. What do you do when your vulnerability is showing? Do you grab hold of the withness of God? Because it's in those most vulnerable and desperate moments that we understand that he is with us the best. My favorite story of the Christmas season is one that I heard several years ago, but it's one that has stuck with me in such a powerful way that it comes back to me every time I look at a manger scene. It's a story that happened a little over 20 years ago when a group of American educators found themselves with a very unusual Christmas invitation that they never expected. Just after the fall of the Iron Curtain, the Russian Department of Education extended an invitation, a cry for help, really. They were asking a group of American leaders in the field of education to come and share a special kind of knowledge in their country. They explained that under communism, the culture of corruption had really grown so strong that it had polluted all kinds of institutions. So they wanted to, someone to come on a diplomatic visit, but this visit was to share teaching about morals and ethics in some very public places. They wanted them to come teach morals and ethics in prisons, uh, in fire and police departments, even in public schools. And as they went on this journey, the very last stop of their diplomatic tour was a large orphanage where about 100 boys and girls who had been abandoned, abused, or orphaned were being raised in the care of the government. And as they arrived there, Christmas was approaching. And these American visitors decided that it would be best for them to share the Christmas story with the children and the workers in this orphanage because as they learned, many of them had never heard it before. And so they gathered them together and as they told the story of Mary and of Joseph and of the baby Jesus who was born and placed in a manger, the children from youngest to oldest, even the orphanage staff sat in amazement as they listened. Some of them sat on the edges of their stools trying to grasp every word. And when they had finally finished this story, 
uh, these American educators did something that everyone who works with children knows you do next. They did a craft. And because they were there in this impoverished area where there were no materials, they had brought most of what they needed with them. They gave the children three small pieces of cardboard to make a crude manger scene. A small paper square was cut from yellow napkins since there was no colored paper available there. And and following instructions, the children cut the paper into strips and carefully laid them in the manger for straw. Then they cut up small squares of flannel from an old nightgown that someone had thrown away and used them for the baby's blanket. And then finally, a doll-like baby was cut from tan felt that they had brought from the United States. And as the orphans were busy assembling their manger scenes, one of these Americans was walking among them to check on their progress. And all was going well until she got to the table where little Misha sat. He looked to be about six years old and had finished his project, but when she looked in the boy's manger, she was startled to see not one, but two babies in the manger. And so she called for a translator to ask the boy, why there were two babies in the manger. And crossing his arms in front of him and looking over his completed manger scene, this child did what children do. He, he told the story back to her. The story he had only just heard for the first time moments before. And for such a young boy, he had such a grasp of the details. He told about Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem and finding no room in the inn. It was all very accurate until he came to the part where Mary laid Jesus in the manger. And that's when he did the other thing children do. He started to ad lib. He made up his own ending to the story. He said, and when Maria laid the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me and asked if I had a place to stay. I told him, I have no mama, no papa, so no, I have no place of my own to stay. And then Jesus told me that I could stay with him. But I told him, no, I couldn't because I didn't have a gift to give him like everyone else did. But I wanted to stay with Jesus very much. And so I thought about what I could use for a gift. I told him that sometimes in the orphanage, we climbed in under one blanket to keep one another warm. And so I asked Jesus, If I keep you warm, will that be a good enough gift? And Jesus answered, if you keep me warm, that will be the best gift that anyone has ever given me. And so I got in the manger, and then Jesus looked at me, and he told me I could stay with him for always. And when little Misha finished his story, there were There were tears rolling down his face. This was so real for him. And he didn't even notice looking around that all the grown-ups that had gathered around to hear his story, the Americans who had heard it a million times before, even the Russian translator, were wiping tears away from their own eyes. This little boy who heard the story for the first time missed something He got something that many of us have missed who hear it year after a year, that the arrival of a savior wasn't about coming to conquer or condemn anyone. It was about a God who so longed to be with his children that he climbed into our world and gave us an invitation to climb in with him and to stay with him forever.
And I wonder what had happened sometimes. What would have happened if those, if those American teachers and educators had, had corrected this little boy? You know, that's not the way the story goes. You don't get to put two babies in the manger. But they were wise enough to know that to be with often means to listen more than you talk. To make yourselves vulnerable enough to know that you have something to learn for every something that you have to teach. They were open to the unexpected that maybe a little child could lead them. And to this strange truth that no matter how many times we hear this story Christmas after Christmas, it still catches us off guard just how beautiful it is that the Lord of the universe would want to be with us and to learn what Joseph learned, that God with us is not just a powerful declaration, it's an invitation. God is asking, will you be with me? He's still awaiting our answer years later. Emmanuel, God with us. It's the long awaited and yet totally unexpected Jesus, here to save us and here to stay. Will you pray with me? Lord, will you protect us from having heard this story too many times? Will you protect us this year from the numbness that comes with knowing an answer and instead open our hearts to listen again? Lord, for those who are having a what now kind of season, will you remind us again that you are with us? in the comfortable moments and the desperate ones? And will you remind us this morning as we move into this final week anticipating your birth that this story never grows old or cold? Lord, thank you for being with us. Thank you for the invitation. We answer you today with our yes. It's in the name of Emmanuel, God with us we pray, amen.